You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Uh, We're going to be in a couple places this evening. Uh, Genesis 2 and Proverbs 23. Genesis 2 and the book of Proverbs, uh, chapter 23. And I'm going to have you stand and we'll read out of Proverbs 23 tonight. Genesis 2 and Proverbs 23. And as you find Proverbs 23, let's go ahead and stand together. I'm going to jump right in tonight. Uh, I've got a lot of material to cover and I don't want to not get through it all again. It seems to be my trend on Wednesday nights to to not get through all of it. And I want to make sure we do this evening. Proverbs 23... And we'll begin reading down in verse 12, Proverbs 23, 12. And again, this is is Solomon as a father talking to his son. And we're in the the Parenting Principles series, and I think it's good for us to remember um, some of the things that Solomon tells his son here. Proverbs 23, 12, it says, Apply thine heart unto instruction, and thine ears to the words of knowledge. Withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. And I think every parent has probably quoted that in their hearts before. Verse 14, thou shalt beat him with the rod and shalt deliver his soul from hell. My son, if thine heart be wise, my heart shall rejoice, even mine. Yea, my reins shall rejoice, my inward parts, when thy lips speak right things. Let not thine heart envy sinners, but be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long. For surely there is an end, and thine expectation shall not be cut off. Hear thou, my son, and be wise, and guide thine heart in the way. Have you noticed already how much Solomon talks about his son's heart? How it's not just about what you're doing on the outward, uh, on the outside, son. Your heart needs to be engaged. Verse 20. Be not among wine-bibbers, among riotous eaters of flesh. For the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty, and drowsiness shall clothe a man with rags. Hearken unto thy father that begat thee, and despise not thy mother when she is old. Buy the truth and sell it not. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. The father of the righteous shall greatly rejoice, and he that begetteth a wise child shall have joy of him. Thy father and thy mother shall be glad, and she that bear thee shall rejoice. My son, give me thine heart, and let thine eyes observe my ways. We'll come back to Proverbs 23 here in a little bit. You can be seated. Thank you for standing out of respect of God's word. The last time we were in our Parenting Principles series, we dealt with the principle, we are authorities, not agents of change. And we're going to continue dealing with that thought this evening just because there were some more things that I wanted to cover last time that I didn't get to, but we are authorities, not agents of change. And and that may be not very clear if you haven't heard it, but as authorities, we are tasked with establishing right and establishing wrong and establishing boundaries for our children and and ensuring that our children follow those boundaries. But our laws cannot change a child's heart. Our rules will not transform a child's heart. We have to spend or depend on God's work on the inside of our children, on the heart of our children, not just simply 
uh, our works or our uh, boundaries on the outside. He is the agent of change. And the power of change rests in God's word. See, our parenting must be a balance between our rules and God's ability to transform someone. And, and let me just mention again, if, if you don't have children or your children are grown, and you don't have prospects of children, I understand how you may believe that this doesn't apply to you, but, but in discussing what's good for our children, I think we also need to understand that the process of change in our children is the same process that takes place in our lives. It's the same transforming process. We must be careful not to simply be outward behaving, outwardly behaving and make sure that our heart is being transformed by the Word of God too. Isn't it easy as a Christian in the Christian life to go through the motions on the outside without allowing God to change you on the inside? It is. If you've been doing it for any length of time, you can find yourself there. and We'll talk about that a little bit more in a moment. But I do believe there's a balance between um, us as authority giving our children rules and guidelines and boundaries and then God's transforming power through His Word. And I believe that if we're ever, usually if we're imbalanced, it's because we're over here more than we're over there. We are about the rules and we're about the guidelines and about the boundaries and we forget that God's transforming power through His Word, it has to be present in our children's hearts if they are going to be transformed. If we bypass the heart transformation, we are elevating the outward above the inward. And that's what the Pharisees did. We've got to be careful. Last time we dealt with an illustration, I want, to, uh, I want to refer to it again. Ted Tripp, who wrote Shepherding a Child's Heart, um, used this illustration. And he used the thought that someone has an apple tree or a tree that only produces bad fruit or doesn't produce fruit at all. And so rather than cultivating the tree, rather than uh, putting the tree in a better position to bear fruit, someone goes out and buys apples from the store, goes back to the tree and ties the, the apples onto the apple tree so it looks nice and full and full of good fruit. And that's a silly illustration, and we would never do that. And yet, spiritually speaking, I think probably that happens in our lives a lot, more than it should. In that rather than letting the Holy Spirit cultivate the work in our heart and start on the inside and then bear fruit according to Galatians 5, bear fruit of the Spirit as a result of God working in us, it's easier to hang apples. It's easier at times to just hang the fruit on the branches of the tree. Yeah, the, fruit, the tree has fruit on the branches, but the tree didn't produce the fruit itself. See, his point, Ted Tripp's point, was when we focus on the behavior of our children and we skip the heart in the process, it's like hanging an apple on a tree. But when we focus on the heart, it's like nurturing that tree until it produces good fruit on its own. Is that easier? No. Does it take longer to cultivate? Yes, it does. But in the end, it's real, at least. See, parents, we can be good at using tactics to affect outward change, but when we trust the law, our law to modify our children's behavior, rather than connecting their behavior to God's truth, we are all, what we're doing is hanging apples. We do it sometimes by, with meth, the method of fear. And we say, if you don't stop that, you're going to get it. You ever found yourself doing that? If you don't stop that, I'm going to pull this car over. 
I heard that one a lot when I was traveling with my dad. Well, that's, if, if that's our tactic, if fear is our tactic with our children, then we are hanging apples. Or bribery. I, we, were, we went on vacation a, a couple, well, last week we were on vacation and we spent some time in a theme park in Orlando. I'm not going to tell you which one, but he's got round ears on his head and you can decide after that. I, I don't know if you're for or against Disney. After seeing the crowds at Disney, I'm against Disney, okay? Let me just say that. Well, we were walking out one night, and of course, at the end of the day, you've been battling crowds, and everybody's feet are, are hurting, and everyone's tired, and there was a, a mom, and she was, um, there was a, a two-year-old or three-year-old little boy, and she was holding his hand, and they were walking out of the park, and he was screaming at the top of his lungs. I mean, just screaming, and he, was no, he wasn't crying, he was upset because they were leaving the park, and he didn't want to leave. And screaming and screaming and screaming. And, and I heard, you heard him as he went by like an ambulance. I mean, it was like just, and it went by and, and everyone stopped because it was just that much of a, a strange display. And I mean, literally a couple minutes later, you could still hear the screaming. And somebody that was next to me said, I could still hear him. Like they were amazed that his voice could carry that much. But as they walked by, I heard the mom telling the son, He's saying, if if you be quiet, we'll we'll come back tomorrow. We're going to be back tomorrow. And I was just thinking, that doesn't in any any way help that child to understand that throwing a fit is not a good thing for him to do. It It was bribery. She was trying to bribe him, and what she was doing was teaching him to hang an apple. Sometimes we hang apples by forced obedience. We say, you say you're sorry. And, you know, I, many times in, with, my, with my sister, especially as a kid, I'm sorry. I was not sorry, but I said I'm sorry. You know, you share that toy. Threats sometimes are hanging an apple. You do that again, you'll be grounded for two months. And I'm serious this time. Hang an apple. And we're, we've all been there. If you're a parent, you've been there and you've tried these tactics before it's easy to resort to the ways we feel like responding or the ways we were raised even at times but there's a biblical pattern to follow that works better and if we are authorities not agents of change then we will recognize that God's pattern works on a deeper heart level than ours ever could so how do we do that well there's a process that we would be wise to follow when dealing with our children. Keep your place here in Proverbs 23, and I want to turn over to Genesis chapter 2. Keep your place in Proverbs 23. We'll refer to it in a moment. But Genesis chapter 2. See, the process that I would like to look at today, and, and I had never in my mind really equated this with parenting, but if you think about the process that takes place in the garden, there really is a good precedent to follow as parents in that God was their father, I mean, think about it. They were his offspring. And they had disobeyed his word. And it's not a bad pattern to follow as a parent when we see God discipline his children in a very clear way. So I want you to consider the process here. And I want to see how we could maybe then uh, apply that or establish that in a process with our own children. Is that first, establish a rule. First, establish a rule. Look at chapter 2, verse 16. It says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, 
For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. See, what God does at the very beginning is he establishes a boundary. He establishes a rule and it's clarity here. Adam and Eve were giving a very, given a very clear boundary. And what I want to notice is when he gave them a boundary, in verse 16, he started with the yes. He said, it, it said, he commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden, thou mayest freely eat. Think about that. God didn't start by saying no, 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 no. He said, no, listen. He started with the yes. And he said, all, uh, look at all that you can do. Look at all that is available to you. See, when we give our children rules or we explain why they can't do this or why they can't do that, be sure to explain the greater yes. And see, here's an example. You tell your child, don't play in the street. You can, but when you do that, explain, you can play in the yard. You can play in your bedroom. You can play on the swing set. You can play in this area. You can play. You can. But playing in the street puts you at risk because there are cars in the street. And I love you so much that if something happens to you, I won't be able to enjoy you anymore. That relationship will be over. And I think it'd be good for us as parents to remember in explaining the no's that there are a lot of yeses that come as a result of the no. Or really, maybe I should say it the other way, that the no is a result of all the yeses. If you don't, if you don't limit yourself in this one way, you can't enjoy yourself in all of these other ways. It'd be good for us as parents to remind our children of the yeses. There is a greater yes to obedience. When, and we give them rules and boundaries, but it's not about the rules and the boundaries. The law is there. The rule was given by God so that he and Adam and Eve could maintain fellowship. In his mind, the biggest thing was that they could maintain fellowship together. It wasn't about, um, no, you can't eat of that tree because I just want you to be miserable. No, he didn't want them to eat of that tree because once they ate of that tree, they would die spiritually and they could no longer fellowship with God like he wanted them to. It wasn't about the no for God. It was about the yes. It'd be good for us as parents to remind our children in the middle of it, it's not just about the no. See, not, and then not, not only were they given a boundary, they were told the clear consequences if they crossed that boundary. Look at verse 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. God made it very clear what would happen if they didn't stay within his guidelines if they did not follow his rules. And listen, parents, when we give rules to our children, start with the yeses. Give them the, the reason why the, the rule is there. There's a greater yes. Start with that. But it's also, though, good to lay out the consequences so that a child understands up front what might happen if he disobeys. And what that does is, as I was thinking about this, there are three results of that. If you, from the very beginning, as you give a boundary, as you give a rule, and you say, Here's the rule. The reason for the rule is this. It's a greater yes. But if you break this rule, here are the consequences. And there are three reasons uh, or three results of, of telling them the consequence. Number one, it motivates the child to keep in mind um, the negative outcomes so they won't be as inclined to do it. It, it makes sense. If you know that something is, it could come negatively, that's going to cause you to trigger in your own mind, okay, I don't know that I want to do this again. I was talking to some people this week, and when your children are, I mean, six months old, eight months old, uh, that's when we would start, if they would reach out for something, 
um, that they shouldn't. That's when we start just giving a little flick on the back on the back side of the hand. You say, well, they're just too young to understand at that point. No, no, they may not understand all the reasons why, but they will equate that with something negative. And I remember the first time with every one of our children, the first time we'd flicked them on the hand, they, their whole world came crashing down. It was the first time anybody had ever told them no, and they, they what, what are you doing? You, I'm the center of the universe here. What, you're not allowed to tell me no. Well, you know, you flick them on the hand, and you start to do that at, at a young age. It, you don't have to, don't wait till they're two years old to start feeling the negative consequences of doing something they shouldn't. They may not understand all the reasons why. They may not get the greater yes, but they will understand the no. And they will, that, that consequence that you give them, however it is that, that, you, that you feel led to do that at the beginning, uh, it, it's a help to them. Uh, and as you do that from a young age, you could prevent them from touching a hot stove or sticking their finger in an outlet. A lot of parents, you know, they go around and they baby-proof everything. Now, we, I mean, I, I'm much more of the persuasion that you train your children from the very beginning, and if you do that, you don't have to do a bunch of baby-proofing. And we had, we, our, all of our children were raised in a home with a wood stove in a, in, a, in a prominent place in our house. Not one of our children ever touched the stove because we spent time when the stove was not hot training them not to touch the stove. And there was a lot of flicking going on. But the last thing we want is for them to touch the stove. It's not that we're trying to be mean. We're trying to keep them protected. We're trying to keep them safe. And, and instead of baby-proofing, maybe we should spend some time in training. And if we would very clearly lay out consequences like God did with Adam and Eve, uh, it could help them in the middle of it to remember, well, no, that negative outcome, I don't want that. Uh, it also, if you give them the consequence up front, it keeps us from meeting out these emotional sentences in the heat of the moment. Have you ever done that? Your child does something that you didn't like, and, you're, you're, and you go to the very extreme. You know, you're grounded till you're 18 years old. You know, and they're four, and they, you know, drop their milk on the table. Oh, well, you know, give the consequence when, you're at, when you have a cool head. Give the consequence up front so that you're not tempted in the middle of it to emotionally mete out some big consequence that really isn't reasonable for the offense. So that's another reason to do that. A third is it helps us to focus more on training and less on discipline. If you are, from the beginning, you sit down, you explain the greater yes, you give them the consequence, you are at that point training your child, not just disciplining your child. Training comes before the act. Discipline has to come after. So you tell me, which one is superior? Training or discipline? Training. Because training is the idea of prevention. Discipline is the idea of intervention. Tell me which one's better. I'd much rather train my children that pre to prevent them from some calamity up front then I would have to intervene when their life is a wreck. Listen, we would do well to remember that the, the investment of time in training is far worth uh, whatever we prevent in discipline. As authorities, it's our prerogative to give rules based on God's righteousness. It's part, this is part um, that we have. We do have control in this area. So first, establish a rule. This is the process, again, of making sure that we are con connecting their heart in the disciplining or training process, start with a rule, make sure it's clear. Second, reveal when the rule is broken. 
you say, well, that's really simple. Well, right, but it's amazing. I think we'd be amazed how many parents uh, don't keep their kids accountable to the rules their, parent, their parents set up. Look at verses 8 through 11 in chapter 3. This is after Adam and Eve fell. It says, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. You ever, have you ever your children maybe done that before where they did something they shouldn't and they're hiding from you? I find it almost humorous, you know. But that's, a, that's part of our human nature, apparently. You want to hide when you know you've done something wrong. Verse 9, And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? We know God knew where Adam was. And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, God, who told thee that thou was naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree? Whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat. And then they have a very serious conversation, confrontation. God did not let Adam and Eve's sin just go. He was willing to confront it. He strongly but lovingly confronted it. And I think we as parents sometimes, do you ever get weary confronting your children when they disobey? Do you ever, you ever get tired of, oh, I have to deal with this again? Isn't, isn't there a tendency at times to just want to sweep it under the rug and move on? Well, that's not a godly parenting style. The way that God approaches his children is if I gave you the rule and you broke it, we're going to have to deal with this. We do our children a, dis, a disservice if we ignore the violations of the rules that we've given them. Parenting that targets the heart requires communication. Ted Tripp uh, talks about the, some communication for parents um, for the heart, not just for the body. And he starts by talking about how you should ask your children questions. What does God do? Uh, he says, who told thee that thou was naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree where have I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? Both of those phrases, the things that God, uh, and actually the very first thing that God said, I just noticed this, um, God comes and he says, where art thou? All of his first statements to Adam in the disciplining process end with question marks. Where art thou? Who told thee that thou was naked? Has thou disobeyed the command I gave you? And I think as parents, we would do well, uh, rather than just standing up and giving a speech, let's explore Let's ask questions of our children. And I know not, not every child is old enough to do this with, but you, we, need to get, we need to gain an understanding of our children rather than just stand up and give them a, a, a sermon. Let's try to understand where are they coming from. What was your thought process in that? What were you thinking? Well, that's a good one. You could ask every child usually. What were you thinking? I mean, what, what, what prompted you to do this? I think a lot of our discipline as parents needs to end with question marks and not just exclamation points. We need to explore so that we can find out where our children are at. God was trying to find out from Adam, where are you? Uh, what have you done? Did you break the commandment? Ask questions. Be, don't be tempted to just simply kind of give, uh, give the speech or give the sermon. Ask questions like, what were you feeling when you did this? Why, why did this person... Your sibling usually cause you to react that way. How did this action, your response, uh, um, how did that seem to make things better? Uh, questions like, um, can you describe the problem that brought this on? In, in what other ways could you have responded? Question mark. Does your response reflect a trust or a lack of trust in God's ability to care for and protect you? Question mark. 
Question mark, question mark. That's the way, if we're going to call God a father here in Genesis 3, that's the way that he deals with his children in parenting and discipline. Asking questions. And as we ask questions, we, are, we begin to le- learn to look at the world and the situation through their eyes. And we forget what it's like to be a child. And sometimes I think if we ask more questions, we would, we would realize that not every disobedience, active disobedience, is an act of rebellion. And as a dad, sometimes I assume that everything my children do that's, that goes against what I've asked them or told them to do is just straight up rebellion. But I don't think that's the way it is. There are times when as a child, I remember as a child thinking, well, I didn't even remember that rule. And, you know, then getting in trouble for it. It wasn't an act of rebellion as much as it was oversight or it wasn't paying attention. It still needed to be disciplined, but I wasn't in my heart being rebellious. I need to remember that for my own children. Not every act of disobedience is an act of rebellion, but you'll never know that unless you stop and ask questions of your children in the process, just like God did. And I think that's a good lesson for us to learn. As we ask questions, we can help them understand and cope and, and, and get victory over those battles of their heart. We, we are standing above them, yes, but by doing that, we also stand beside them. We're walking through it with them. Look over in Proverbs 23. There's some words that, that Dr. Tripp uses in, in his uh, book that I think are a help. Proverbs 23, look at verse, uh, first, I want to just give you some words that you see here from Solomon to his son. And, and this is going to help us, parents. I, I know you say, I don't know why I need this. Um, but when, when our emotions get involved in the disciplining process, uh, we, we lose sight of words like this. Okay? We lose sight of words like encouragement. Encouragement means to inspire and fill with hope and fill with courage. Look at Proverbs 23, 15. It says, my son, if thine heart be wise, my heart shall rejoice, even mine. Yea, my reign shall rejoice when thy lips speak right things. It wouldn't be bad for our children in the middle of a disciplinary process for them to be reminded, when you do right, it does more for my heart than anything I could even explain to you. Daughter, son, when you do right, I'm telling you, the times that you do right, which far outweigh all the times that you're doing wrong, that, that's my greatest joy. And as a parent, isn't it true, when our children do right, unprompted of their own accord, doesn't it do something for you that you can't explain? Like John, when he wrote in Third John, he said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. There's something about it. And parents, in the disciplinary process, uh, rather than monologuing, let's tell them, listen, uh, let me encourage you, when you do right, it does something special for me. Here's another good word to remember in discipline is correction. Proverbs 29, 17, turn over there. We'll come back to Proverbs 23. Proverbs 29, 17. It says, correct thy son and he shall give thee rest. Yea, he shall give delight unto thy soul. See, correct is to remedy something that's wrong. And a lot of times I think in our correction, we're, we're not necessarily trying to fix it. We're just trying to let them know how bad they blew it. Well, that's not the point of correction. The point of correction is to fix the problem. Help them understand God's standard. Uh, and correct thy son, he shall give thee rest. Yea, he shall give delight unto thy soul. It's not just about letting them know how bad they blew it. Uh, as we correct them, it gives us delight. Look, another word here is rebuke. And we see this throughout. I'm not going to give you, in Proverbs 23, a specific verse, but a rebuke is a reprimand of behavior. It, 
In other words, you could say it's wrong for you to speak that way. Let them know. It's okay. Don't do it in a mean-spirited way. Don't do it in a condescending or angry or emotional way. But don't be afraid to correct your children. I know a lot of parents, as their children get older, they're teenagers, and they're, their parents are afraid that, that if they are too hard or too overbearing, that they might lose the heart of their, their teenager. Um, but we, they have to hear rebuke from somebody. And chances are they're not going to go out in the world and hear it from their friends. They must hear it. And, and parents, if we do it with the right spirit, I, I think it's, it's, we're, we probably, uh, we, we probably a, a little bit overanalyze uh, how confrontational we can be with our children. Sometimes they just need to hear it straight. And you tell me, uh, is our culture more or less offendable than it was 30 or 40 years ago? Very offendable now, isn't it? And I, th- I really believe a, a, a big problem in that regard, the reason it's that, that way is because uh, parents started tiptoeing around their children. Rather than just telling their children, here's what needs to happen, here's how it should be, parents, uh, we, we need to be confrontational with the right spirit. But let's correct them. Let's rebuke them. Let's let them know that they're wrong. Let's not protect them from all the, the mean people in the world. And let's, let's make sure if rebuke is necessary, let's do it. Another word is entreaty. Proverbs 23, 26 says, My son, give me thine heart. Let thine eyes observe my ways. And entreaty is a pleading or an urging. It's okay to use a pleading kind of uh, mindset or approach with your children. Plead with them. Urge, urge them. Uh, instruction is another word. Proverbs twenty three seventeen. It says, Let not thine heart envy sinners, but be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long. For surely there is an end, and thine expectation shall not be cut off. Uh, he's, he just is giving them instru- giving instruction. Verse 20, Be not among wine-bibbers, among riotous eaters of flesh. For the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty. Drowsiness shall clothe a man with rags. It's okay to get very specific with your children. Provide lessons by way of information. Use the world around them to help them to see uh, that that direction is not the way you want to go. I've talked with many, many young people, and you know, they're pretty reasonable. I know they can be emotional, uh, but they're pretty reasonable if you, if you just let them look around and, and see what happens. I and mean, if you want to go down that path, that's fine, son. You're getting to the age where you can make that choice. But let me just remind you what's at the end of those choices. Because as parents, we've, we've been around a little bit longer, and we've seen people that go down that path and where they end up. Uh, make sure that we use examples. He says, don't be among the wine-bibbers. Don't be, be among those because their end is not good. So uh, instruction. Another word here is warning. Verse 27 says, For a whore is a deep ditch, and a, and a strange woman is a narrow pit. She also lieth in wait as for a prey and increaseth the transgressors among men. And we could talk about that with our sons all day, men and, and ladies. We've got to be mindful. To, I mean, it, it's everywhere now. That, that, that lust, that sexual sin all over, we must warn them against the danger. We, I mean, I know that it's important to, to protect them and and at times shelter them, but if we shelter them to the point that they're not ready once they step out of the home for what's coming, then we have not done them a service. Warn them. Uh, we shelter them, sure, but warn them about the wiles of Satan. It's everywhere. It's on billboards. It's in your pocket if you have a smartphone and with no filter. 
And it's everywhere. Teaching is another word, and prayer. I mean, just good words in the middle of the communication process. In other words, folks, it's important to communicate like God did with Adam and Eve. We're not going to stand up on a podium and just give them three points in, in, a, in an outline. We need to communicate. And I have a tendency this way myself, where, where I know that something's happened, I know that they've done wrong, and I just kind of mete out the judgment, and I give them the what for, and then they walk away and I walk away. That's not a godly way to parent. There must be communication, and there must be questions asked, just like God did with Adam and Eve. So third, then, uh, use appropriate consequences. So establish a rule, reveal when the rule is broken. Third, use appropriate consequences. This is the punishment. God expelled Adam and Eve from the garden. Uh, They had to face an appropriate consequence. And here's why you say, well, that's so mean. Well, he's holy and they no longer were. They uh, They had to be distanced between them. And that punishment was enough to be felt. It should be. I've seen parents, again, with, with small children. And let me, let me just encourage you. They, they may be young, um, but you can train them uh, in small ways. You can train them. But if you don't ever uh, reach out strong enough to be felt, they're probably not going to learn their lessons. There needs to be something that is felt. God didn't say, okay, Adam and Eve, um, I'm going to make you, you know, you can, you'll have to leave the garden for a day, but you can come right back. No, they felt the consequence. And I think if the lessons are going to be learned with our children, they need to feel it even from a young age and, and be careful. I'm not saying uh, be mindful. I'm not saying be abusive at all. We'll talk about that in a moment. What does the Bible have to say about consequences? Well, we just read it. The Bible method of punishment is the rod. And I know it seems strange, but the act of physical punishment doesn't just change behavior. See, it actually affects the heart of the child. It affects a child inwardly. We just read the verses 23, 13 through 15. Look, withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with the rod and shalt deliver his soul from hell. My son, if thine heart be wise, my heart shall rejoice, even mine. There's joy that comes as a result of the physical punishment of the rod. There's deliverance that comes. Thou shalt beat him with the rod and shalt deliver his soul from hell. Um, Let not thine heart envy sinners, but be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long. Um, There's there's deliverance that comes because of... There's delight. We already read down in verse 25 that when there's the rod is involved, there's delight. There's rest. We read Proverbs 29, 17. There's peace at Proverbs 29, 15. We could look at all of those and see that the result when the rod is used is joy and deliverance and delight and rest and peace. And I've heard people say that spanking is cruel and spanking is abusive. But according to these verses, one important way to change the heart of our children is to use the rod. Do you want to make sure your children are being transformed on a heart level? Well, I do. Well, God's method of punishment to make sure that that happens is the rod. And you say, well, that just doesn't seem right. It seems cruel. No, what seems cruel is putting our children in a position to remain untransformed. That's much more cruel a fate than doing what God says that we can do to reach their heart. Can the rod, now be careful, can the rod be used inappropriately? Absolutely it can. 
A rod is not licensed to punish out of unbridled anger. Uh, The rod is not for uh, the purpose of venting our frustration. The rod does not grant us the right to hit our children whenever and wherever we wish. The rod is not retribution. The rod is not payback. That's not how it's done here. If done correctly with communication and control, it has a great effect not just on the behavior of our children, but on the souls of our children. He said very clearly, You'll deli- if you use a, a rod, thou shalt beat him with the rod and shalt deliver his soul from hell. You say, I don't know how that affects their inward, their heart. I don't get that. You know what? I don't know either. Let's just assume the rod is God's supernatural and divine gift to parents to reach the hearts of our children. It's what the Bible says. So meet out an appropriate uh, appropriate consequence, and then fourth, allow for restoration. Yes, we give the rule. Yes, we let them know when it's broken. Yes, we give an appropriate consequence, but we need to make sure that the end of the process is restoration. See, God didn't write Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve off. By the time they finished communicating and God meted out his punishment, he had done two things. Number one, he had promised a savior. I mean, we talk about thou shalt, he, he promised Jesus Christ. He told, told Satan, he said, you're going to bruise his heel. He's going to bruise your head, though. He promised a savior. In other words, what God's intention was not just to kick Adam and Eve out of the garden and say, y'all, get away, get away from me. I don't even want to see you anymore. You disobey my rule. No, in the middle of the disciplinary process, he gave them hope for the future. He promised a savior. And then he made them coats of skins and he clothed them. He clothed them so that they could cover up. It's safe to assume that animals died as a sacrifice. God made it clear there's a way to restore a broken relationship. And parents, that's the end of every disciplinary process. The end is not, I'm going to leave it open-ended and I'm going to make them mad and they're going to have to just go to the room and sit all night on it and I'm just going to let them be afraid of what might happen. No, the end is restoration. The goal is restoring the relationship. The goal of discipline is not to make them just feel guilty or just get punished. It's restoration. Let your child know that breaking a law is big and there are consequences, but forgiveness is gladly granted as an act of mercy if the offender has a humble spirit of contrition and confession. They must seek restoration, but you give it parents. Don't leave it open-ended. Don't leave it lingering for weeks on end. Don't hold your child's actions over his head. When we ask ask God for forgiveness, he casts our transgression as far as the east is from the west. He casts our sin into the depths of the sea, according to Micah 7. So why would I, as a sinner to another sinner, hold it over their head when God, who is holy, doesn't hold it over this sinner's head. Once the process has been followed and the heart has been addressed, then move forward with nothing between you and your child. It's a great process, very clear, I believe. But just another reminder that we're authorities, not agents of change. We must use God's process. We must use God's mindset. This means we have a responsibility, yes, we are to discipline. We are to train, but our job is ultimately to point them to the one that
that can actually transform them. Yes, we control behavior. We're the authority, and as God's representatives, we're commanded to discipline for their good. The behavior must be corrected, but we must not be content to hang apples. We must go beyond the law to determine what's causing the behavior and help the child see that ultimately um, the problem lies inward. You know, for instance, we very often will, something like this will happen between two siblings. They're playing in the room and, and they begin fighting over a toy. And we usually will say, who had it first? But does that response address the heart issue? No, it makes it an issue of justice. And which actually then would operate in favor of the child who has faster reflexes. See, if you deal with the issue of the heart, though, God's way, you now have two offenders. Both children are displaying selfishness by saying, I don't care what you, about you, I don't care about your happiness, I'm only concerned about myself and what I want, my happiness, and that's dependent right now on me possessing this toy. I don't really care what happens to you. No, instead, go through the process. There's a rule that's been broken, there's a consequence but seek restoration. But start with the laws that have been broken. For instance, thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's basically when, you, when a child says my happiness is most important, he's saying my happiness is the most important thing to me right now. But that's having a, something in your life that's more important to you than God in that moment. You could say something like thou shalt not steal. The child who took the toys, breaking the law. You could say thou shalt not covet. Covet is to want what you should not want. It doesn't have to be very complex either. I mean, make sure that we go through this process. I was talking to Mike and Mary Steen, and they were telling me that any time they had a child that disobeyed, they would make him quote Ephesians 6.1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. I believe that's the first verse we taught every one of our children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And it was really cute to hear them say it when they were memorizing it, um, but they didn't like to say it quite as much when they were in trouble. But on the other hand... When they were in trouble and they had a truth coming out of their lips, it was connecting their punishment to truth. Rather than just some random thing happening from their mom or dad, they were connecting their consequences to truth. We've got to do this or else we hang apples. If our children are old enough, take the time to correct their, connect their sin to biblical truth. Ted Tripp suggests making a notebook even. I think it's a great idea that contains the attitude of the heart. All the attitudes of the heart in biblical terms. And write down texts, write down verses that describe heart attitudes. And think of stories in the Bible that illustrate those character traits, positively or negatively. You could use Adam and Eve when disobedience takes place. Use that. You could use self-sufficiency when Israel and, uh, went into Ai and, and they were self-sufficient instead of trusting God. You could use Joseph as patience. Make sure, though, that... When there's an offense that you, that you appropriately uh, determine or label the offense according to the rules that you've laid out and that you connect it to truth. If we don't, then we are just simply kind of randomly meeting out punishment and we're not connecting it to something bigger than mom or dad. Dr. Tripp wrote this, what must you do in correction and discipline? You must require proper behavior because we're the authorities. God's law demands it. You cannot, however, be satisfied to leave the matter there. You must help your child ask the questions 
that will expose the attitude of the heart that resulted in that wrong behavior? How did his heart stray to produce this behavior? In what characteristic ways has his inability or refusal to know and trust and obey God resulted in these actions in speech that are wrong? Really good counsel uh, from Ted Tripp. So folks, stop hanging apples. Use the process. Establish the rule. Reveal when it's broken. Use appropriate consequences and allow for restoration. By doing it God's way, we will enable His transforming power to step in in our parenting processes. We are authorities. We use right and wrong as a means to reveal when our children have fallen short of the standard. But we're not agents of change. We must implement God's truth and God's process into our parenting and use those times as opportunities to point them to God. You could say it this way. My goal is not to modify behavior. It's to point their hearts to the Savior. That's the best rhyme I could come up with. My goal is not just to modify behavior. It is to point their hearts to the Savior. Connect them to truth and discipline God's way. And I think we'll help ourselves out to raise children that we aren't just hanging apples on. We're, we're helping them to have a heart for God behind it. Not Pharisees. Not outward. Inward with the heart. I think it's good help here tonight. You know, these parent principles are, are things that we all need. Uh, it, it feels overwhelming at times. Uh, but God gives us clear instruction if we would simply look to his word. I'm thankful for the way that he clarifies some of these things for us. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.